0: Our scripture reading this morning is from Isaiah, the second chapter, We're we'll look at verses 1 and 5 together. Hear now the word of our Lord. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established. As chief among the mountains, it will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of God. May it find us way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of His Holy Spirit. Amen. It's getting pretty hot out. I don't know about you all, but um, my house is starting to to get hot too, and, and we're having to... Change the air filters and, and, and keep up with it. And uh, it, it kind of reminded me of a time when I was in sixth grade. It was during the summer. Um, we lived in a parsonage, and I lived in the, uh, I, my room was in the second story of uh, a parsonage there. And I just remember one summer afternoon, it was so hot and stuffy in my room and uh i decided i really ought to crack open the window and let some air in get some air circulating into the boom and um that would have been a wonderful genius idea if it weren't for the air conditioner the air conditioning unit unit that was in the window there uh, that we left unplugged until we plugged it in and you know it got the air going and so uh so i decided to crack the window open and as you can imagine, as soon as I did that, uh, this air conditioning unit uh, fell out of the window. And, um, you know, the, the extension cord wasn't plugged in, and so like, it was like slow motion. I saw it snaking, right? And my, my first instinct was to grab that extension cord. Now... I'm still alive today because I'm not that coordinated. (laughs) Because if I, 90 uh, 90 pound me, if 90 pound me had grabbed that extension cord, I surely would have went down with it. Um, My dad was in the room below me. He was talking on the phone with the parishioner and he was sort of looking out the window while he was talking on the phone and he sees the air conditioning (laughs) just, uh, just, fly down uh, past the window, and then there's a a big crash. And the person on the other end of the phone says, Preacher, sounds like you need to go. (laughs) So I make my way down the stairs and go outside, and Dad's already standing there looking at the wreckage. The air conditioner is in about a billion tiny little pieces. And my dad has that look on his face that, that you kind of learn to give when you're a father. That, that look that says, are you really this stupid son? Right? That kind of. And so he's, uh, he, he's just staring down at these billion little pieces of air conditioning. And he's looking back up at me. He's staring back down at it. And he's looking back up at me. That, it seems to me like this takes like three hours. And he finally says, through gritted teeth, "Son, I love you." This is the stupidest thing I've ever seen anyone do in my entire life. Looking at that air conditioning, you know, in a billion tiny little pieces, I felt helpless. Because I knew I was the one that cracked open the window. I knew that I was the one that was responsible for this mess. And I also knew that I was powerless to fix it. I didn't have the capital to buy a new one. I didn't have the know-how to put it back together. I was powerless to fix it. And I don't want to get too philosophical this early in the morning, but I feel like that's the condition in which we find ourselves as human beings. We we find ourselves in in, in a fallen and broken world that that we know that we're we're somehow responsible for and yet we feel powerless to fix it. G.K. Chesterton once wrote that, that sin is the only Christian doctrine of which men need no convincing. In other words, even the most stone-cold atheist kind of gets that we're messed up. That the world is broken. The world isn't working the way it's supposed to work. And my heart is not working the way it's supposed to work. There's a world, there's, there's a, a me that is in need of repair. That's in a billion tiny little pieces and I'm not really able to fix it. The condition in which we find ourselves. So, how did we get here? Well, if you had asked Israel's neighbors, you know the the ancient Babylonians, the Assyrians, um, the the, the Mesopotamians—if you had asked them, how did the world get the way it is, as broken as it uh, is—they all, all of their mythologies, teach some version of, of this idea. I call it creation interrupted, and it goes like this: the Creator God was in the middle of creating creation, is making everything perfect, just right. When in the middle of that activity, he gets interrupted by something. In the Babylonian creation myth, the Enuma Elish, what happens is there's a fight that breaks out amongst the gods in the middle of creation, and so and so this war plays out in heaven. And that's why if it feels like creation is unfinished, according to the Babylonians, it's because it is. Because uh, the gods got distracted and then moved on to something else. See, creation was interrupted. But the Hebrew story is very different, isn't it? The story that that comes to us in the Bible is very different. We we have the story of of a God who created the world in seven days spoke it into being. And every step along the way, he did it exactly the way he wanted to do it. And at the end, he said, it is good each day. And then he created you and me exactly the way he wanted to and then said, it is very good. Without interruption, he creates it perfectly. Then why is it broken? The story goes on to say, he put us in that perfect world, and we're the ones to open the window. We're the ones that caused the fall to happen. We're the reason, I think a billion tiny little... We've got two stories in Genesis. Um, one you're, you're super familiar with from, from, from Sunday school It's Eden, right? Um, of the Garden of Eden. It's Adam and Eve, they're put in this perfect garden, and, uh, and they're given one rule do not eat of the fruit. Like a couple verses later, they're eating of the fruit. And because of that, because of that disobedience, because, because we, we, we always put ourselves ahead of, of, of what God wants, our, our, our desires ahead of god 's plan, that relationship with God is forever broken. Last week, we talked about a different story, the story of what happened at Babel about, uh, about these these people wanting to dominate and control. And so they, um, they're not satisfied with God having his own holy mountain. They decide we're going to make a ziggurat for God and we're going to control what God does. And we're going to control all the people under us. And it's this desire for control that winds up breaking the relationship between us and our neighbor. See, at the end of, the, end of this, the Babel story, the people are dispersed. They speak different languages. They can no longer get along. And they form their own tribes and their own nations with their own cultures and ideas. And, and they're doomed forever to fight with each other. And we have two stories. Eden shows us how our relationship with God came to be broken. And Babel shows us how our relationship with one another came broken and in both cases it's because of what we did if, if we wake up in the morning and find the world broken into a billion tiny little pieces at the feet of the father it's no good to shake our fist and say why did you let this happen because we are the ones to open the window Weird ones that caused the bone. It's our mess. Therefore, we kind of have a responsibility to clean it up. The problem, though, is that we're powerless to do it. So God had a dream. And he shared his dream to the prophets. The, the, the passage um, that, that we read um, just a few minutes ago uh, is sometimes called the, Mount, the Oracle of the Mountain of the Lord. And the reason uh, it, it's called that is because it appears here in Isaiah, it also appears word for word in, uh, in the fourth chapter of Micah. And so Bible scholars say it's probably an older prophecy that both Micah and Isaiah knew. It's this this beautiful articulation of a world repaired, of what the world will look like when God finally puts it back together. See, the world is broken in two ways, isn't it? There's, there's the horizontal brokenness the, between me and you, between our neighbors, between countries. The, this, this, this brokenness to exist in the human relationship, that horizontal. And then there's the vertical. Our relationship with God that is broken. I'm going to read uh, this short passage again. And I want you to think about, as I read it, how God repairs the, 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 the vertical relationship. God human being relationship and then how God repairs the horizontal, the you and me relationship. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes among many people. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, on, house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. The first thing God repairs is that vertical relationship. The relationship between God and man. He raises uh, Mount Zion as the highest highest of all mountains. In in the language of prophecy, in the language of ancient people, that means that's the mountain that's closest to heaven's. That's the mountain that's closest to God. He, God raises us up to where we can be close to him. And then we're told that he resides on that mountain, that he judges from that mountain, that he is, that he is among his people. And all those people that at Babel were, were, were scattered in every direction, they come streaming back to the mountain of the Lord and there they acknowledge him and there they worship him. See God repairs his relationship with humanity. He draws everyone unto himself. And then he begins to repair relationships among you and me, among tribes. Because because God's law settles the disputes. God's voice settles the disputes. And so we don't need swords anymore. We don't need the weapons of war anymore. Because God is arbitrating between people. No one has to learn how to fight anymore. We're given a beautiful vision of peace. That is achieved when God finally repairs the broken human Relationship um, in New York City, outside of the United Nations building, there's a, a big, giant statue. and It's mega bronze, and it shows a, a man lifting a hammer, and he's he's beating a sword. And and on the uh, on on the on the monument, it says um, they will beat their swords into plowshares. That vision, that vision of of, of a peaceful world is something that still today lies before us, unrealized. And yet everyone, whether whether they know it or not, desires that, knows that that's what we need and knows that that's where humanity needs to be headed, and yet we feel powerless to do it. This vision reverberates all through Scripture. The prophets come back to it again and again. This idea that God will restore all things. Behold, I make all things new. A new heaven and a new earth. We see it at the end of Revelation. The new Jerusalem coming down on the holy hill. And the angel uh, tells John that that, that this city needs no light because God himself lights the city. There's no crime there. There are no tears. Every tear will be wiped away. Everyone will sit under the shade of their own vine. This is a beautiful, beautiful vision, isn't it? It's God's dream for humanity, and yet... Still today in 2019, it's a long way off. We've got this promise that, that, that God is someday going to make it all right. He's someday going to repair what's broken. But what do we do in the meantime? What do we do with all these, 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 these billion tiny pieces at our feet? We just wait Sing songs until Jesus comes? As I sat there staring at the pieces of that air conditioning (laughs) unit on the ground, I felt powerless. I'm responsible for this, and yet I don't have have the money, I don't have the the know-how, I can't do anything to repair this. My dad had a plan. He Said, "Son, this is your responsibility. Doesn't matter if it was an accident. It's broken, and you're the reason it's broken. And you need to fix it." He said, so, you're going to do chores around the house for a month, and uh, and you're going to earn back the money to buy a new air conditioner. He made me his partner. Now, here's the thing me straightening up the garage and and dusting the bookshelf, let's be honest, that doesn't put a dime in my dad's pocket. He's still doing the real work. (laughs) He's still the one that has to to repair that air conditioning unit. But there's something in making me a partner that, that, that my dad believed would build character in me that, that, that my, my, my dad believed would, would teach me a valuable lesson about being responsible for the things that we do. And so he called me to be his partner in repairing the air conditioner. In Judaism, there is this beautiful concept. It's called Tikkun Olam. And that's Hebrew for repairing the world. And that concept tells us this, that you and I are called to be partners with God in repairing the world. That, that, um, that, that yes, the world lies in a, a billion tiny little pieces at our feet. We are called to be God's partners in repairing the world. And Tikhan Olam teaches there are two things you can do to help repair the world. The first is to abolish idolatry from your heart. The second is to deal kindly and act justly toward your neighbor. The first is vertical. Repairing, beginning repairing that vertical relationship with God. I'm not going to worship anyone but you. It's only going to be you. I'm going to praise and serve you. Repairing that vertical relationship. And then the second is repairing those horizontal relationships. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be just. I'm not going to seek to have my way all the time. And so it teaches that that, that when you do these things, you begin to help God prepare the world. This is a beautiful old um, uh, Jewish legend that illustrates the idea of Tikkun Olam. And, um, and, And the way it goes is this. In the beginning... And the first day of creation, the first thing God creates is light. And here's the problem: you ever think about this? Until the fourth day, there was no sun, no moon, no stars, no human to light a candle. Where does this light come from? What is its source? So according to this legend, this was pure, beautiful, radiant light without source. It's just straight from God, and it needed no source. It was the most brilliant light you can imagine. And, 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 and when it's let out, it just floods the whole universe with light, and it's day everywhere, every corner of the cosmos. But at night, the angels gather up all of this light, and they stuff it into a giant jar that God built and put in the middle of the sky. Well, the, the, the story goes that this light was too much for this jar. The first night of creation, the jar is just vibrating all through the night, because it's got all of this light, and it can barely contain it. The second night of creation, you start to see the cracks. And this, this, this jar keeps shaking. The third night of creation, the jar just shatters, and the light comes crashing down to earth. And according to the legend, the, 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 the light breaks into a billion tiny little pieces. Shards of light everywhere. Enough that a, a little piece of light gets stuck into every human heart. According to this legend, each of us is born with with this shard of light stuck in our heart. And so each of us has a role to play in putting the light back together. Here's the cool part. Every time we sing a hymn or pray or praise God for something good that he has done, a little spark shoots up from our heart and goes into the air. And then every time we're we're kind to someone, you know, we're we're, we're kind to our kids, or or, or we see someone in, in the in the grocery aisle ahead of us that can't pay for their groceries, and, and and we pay the rest. We help a little old lady across the street, or whatever it is. A spark from their heart, a spark from our heart, flies upward, and one spark at a time, that great light is being put back together beautiful story, isn't it? Imagine every kind of thing you do, every word of praise, every prayer whispered is repairing the world one spark at a time. Well, preacher, we're Christians. Why are you talking about all this ticking alarm stuff, all this Hebrew stuff, all this Jewish stuff? Do you forget where you were? Look at the life and teaching of Jesus. If that's not taking Olam, if that's not repairing the world, I don't know what is. Someone asked Jesus, what's the most important commandment? He says, I got two for for you. Right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind. And the other is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the vertical, that's the horizontal. The most important thing you can do in this world is to begin to repair your relationship with God. The most important thing you can do in this world is to begin to repair your relationship with people. Think about this. When Jesus came to earth, he could have fixed everything in one fell swoop. Uh, the, the kids and I watch Avengers Endgame, and they're all trying to get this infinity gauntlet. And if you have this infinity gauntlet on your hand, you can snap your finger and make the world however you want to make it. Just a snap of a finger. Jesus could have come to earth and have done just that. Snap his finger, and the mountain of the Lord rises up, and, and, and all the nations stream, and everything just the way he wants it. But instead... He runs around getting a bunch of fishermen together. See, Jesus is in the business of calling partners. Jesus is in the business of saying, I'm not doing this all by myself. I've got a job for all of you all. And then when he leaves, he leaves the church behind. He gives them a mission. Go into all the world of baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's not picking a lamb. I don't know what it is. We are God's partners in rebuilding the world, in repairing the world. Yes, it's in a billion tiny little pieces. So get to work, get moving. So we come this morning to the table. We had a uh, when I was in North Carolina um, uh, worked on a church staff and the pastor there always uh, began uh, communion by saying the same thing and it got to where those of us on staff kind of kind of made fun of it because he always used the same hand gestures and we just like to say it word for, word for word and he would always say this it's a beautiful paradox God's brokenness means our wholeness. Every time, every time he did communion, he said that. It's a paradox. God's brokenness means our wholeness. And those of us on the staff would be sitting in our pew and we'd be going, right? Because we he just heard this every time. Well, fast forward a decade, I still remember it. And there's something so true about that isn't there. Think about this for a second. It's the first of the month. That means for every United Methodist all over the world, we're all taking communion. And then think of all of those traditions that they do, communion every Sunday. Disciples of Christ, Episcopalian, the whole Catholic Church. Right now, Jesus is offering himself in a billion tiny little pieces. A billion tiny little pieces of bread. Right now, a billion tiny little Christians are taking that bread. And sparks are flying upward. And relationships, those horizontal relationships in this church, are being repaired at the table and the vertical relationship between between human beings and God are being repaired at this table. We come broken, and we leave partners with God in repairing the world. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit.